Welcome to the Nourished and Nurturing Podcast, for two holistic-minded moms with a passion for real food and raising healthy, empowered children. We want to provide a safe and educational, judgment-free zone for supporting women as they journey into motherhood and discover the mom they were meant to be. I'm Marissa of Confidently Balanced. I'm a former speech-language pathologist turned nutritional therapy practitioner and have a passion for all things health, wellness, and mindset. I'm also a mama to a little guy with a big personality. And I'm Michelle. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner student. I have a degree in Thai massage and a master's in business analytics. I'm a mama to a little one and have another one on the way. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical concern. Hi, everyone. Today, I am recording with Gia Norini, and I'm super excited to talk to her. She's a chiropractor. She's my chiropractor, and I've known her for a long time. Um, Dr. Norini is a licensed chiropractor in Chicago, Illinois. She received her chiropractic degree from National University of Health Sciences in Lombard, Illinois, where she also learned acupuncture techniques that allowed her to become certified by the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners in 2011. In 2017, she became certified in Webster's Technique. In 2018, she became a certified doula through DONA International. And in 2019, she became a certified hypnobirthing childbirth educator. While her focus in her postgraduate education has become more focused on women in their childbearing years, she does treat people of all ages and both men and women. Her philosophy is simply a whole body approach to healthcare for the whole family. I love that. I didn't even know all of that. <laughs> Hi, Gia. Hi. <laughs> so, so yeah, just uh, introducing how we know each other. I've known yeah. you for a long time now. Yeah, almost, um, I think, like five or six years. Yeah. Yeah, so you've been my chiropractor, and then as I've progressed to be a woman in my childbearing mm-hmm. years. Gia was my doula and she'll be my doula again. Yeah, I'm excited. Approximately <laughs> next week. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's been amazing working with you and it's just, yeah. um, one of those things that's awesome to have trusted providers and we're kind of almost growing together and working, yeah. working I've, together. I really appreciated working with you personally because you are so hungry to learn and you actually teach me stuff too, which is what I, and like, and make me hungry to go and like investigate other things further. So I really do appreciate the relationship we have for that reason. Yeah. The hypnobirthing thing. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's so, yeah. so if I, if I need to tune into that, uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll do some, we'll do some guided meditation if we need to. Yes. Awesome. So exciting. Yes. Well, can you talk a little bit about your background, like how you got into becoming a chiropractor? Yeah. So I, I became a chiropractic patient when I was in high school and I had some um, issues going on and and just didn't really fall away from it in college. It's just harder to get back to your hometown to see your Cairo when you're away at college. Um, but I kind of continued to see my chiropractor when I was in town. Um, I went, um, off to college as a pre-vet student and I toured the vet school as a sophomore and immediately it was like, this is not for me but still knew I wanted to be in medicine in some way. I just knew veterinary medicine was not where I needed to be. So the more I started talking and looking around for other forms of medicine and healthcare that I could be in, um, I had started talking to a family friend who happened to be a chiropractor and he was like, maybe you should think about chiropractic because it kind of fits like some of the natural stuff that you're looking for. Um, But still there are schools out there that teach a very primary care medicine approach to chiropractic care or with chiropractic care. Um, And so I started to look actually where he was a teacher at national and I haven't looked back since. So that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What actually kind of got me interested in the natural health space was a chiropractor that I saw. I think I was 21, but it was you know, I've, I've talked about my medical history on this podcast. Like I was on several medications and like, um, just started seeing this chiropractor and he kind of slowly 
like we're talking about my health. He talked about some supplements and, you know, I think it's a good, cause you're licensed in the state. It's just a good, I don't know, position to be in to talk yeah. about people's general health. So, right. and I found the same thing with you, like you're my chiropractor, but it's, it's obviously a lot more than that. Right. Um, we talk about way more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, and it is, uh, I don't know, but just some chiropractors are not like that. No. Um. <laughs> there's, different, there's different schools of thought and there's different philosophies within our group. Um, I always dream of the day where we will all come together on one common philo- philosophy about what chiropractic can do and the potential that it has to bring to the world. And I think when we get there, we're going to take off like wildfire and it's going to be where everybody wants a piece of this game. But right now... Um, we're very divided and, um, it's unfortunate, but it's just where we are. I mean, it's just, it's like politics. It's just very divided. So, um, hopefully it'll change, but we're not quite there yet. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too much into this, but like, I know a lot of people have opinions on chiropractors because some, you know, a lot of them are like, Oh, I see you once now you need to come in three times a week for, four months and oh that happens to max out your insurance benefits and (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean there's a lot of practice management philosophy and and groups that kind of come in and I think given that chiropractic isn't as mainstream as you and I would like it to be um, versus compared to like a traditional MD's practice like where everyone is going um they, they try to maximize, I mean, that's, it's a business, right? And when you use a practice management company, they try to really drive that business home. And it's not that MDs don't use practice management. They do. That's why we have five minute appointments with our MDs. If we have them, like, because that's the practice management philosophy. So you can't apply though, that philosophy to every single form of medicine. And I think that that's the unfortunate side of, um, some of the companies that have come out from that, but, um, it's, it's why I don't use one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, it's just not where I, I didn't want to be dictated to. I wanted to have the freedom to do what I knew was right. And I was like, my, my practice will grow as it should with the right philosophy that I feel good about. I feel ethical about coming in every day and feeling like this is me, this is my authentic self. And I'm going to project that and people will come if they want my help. And I'll be able to provide the help that I can authentically and ethically the way I know I should. So, yeah, I just, I love that. And so if, if you haven't seen a chiropractor, I think it's amazing to have one in your toolkit, Um, but look for somebody who does have that health focused approach. Right. Yeah. Um, And then for all of my local friends, Gia's in River North. It's considered Mm -hmm. River North, right? I think Um, we're right on the border. I'm not really sure, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) I need one of those neighborhood maps. But I would walk when I worked downtown, I'd walk up to her office and then walk to Ogilvy and take the train home. So yeah, it's a it's a nice little walk, but it all uh, and it's right by the brown line. But yeah, so it's that's been awesome. Yeah. What um so how did you focus, uh, like it looks like in more recent years, you've moved more towards the women's health. Like, yeah, and prenatal care and things like that. Right. Yeah. What what triggered that move? Um, when I got into practice, I mean, I thought I was going to treat 20 to 40 somethings with no kids and that was going to be my niche. And But you, then you start to realize, oh, the patients are getting married and starting families and growing and their needs are changing. And I'm going to need to change with them if I want to continue to serve them. Like, I mean, I remember my first year in practice when one of my patients was pregnant and it was really, she was really struggling. I was not able to help her. I referred her to a Webster practitioner because I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I, not that I didn't know what I was doing. I just didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to help her as efficiently and and how I knew I should. And so I referred her to someone who could, and I'm like, I should really learn that technique but it just wasn't a high demand. And then as it started to become more of a high demand, I was like, I really need to get into this class. So I actually flew to DC and I took the Webster's class um, with Jeannie Ohm, who recently, like I think last year she actually passed away. But So I was so grateful to have been taught by her because she really took over after Dr. Dr. Webster died and taught his his technique. And so to learn from her who really developed this and made this so 
available to other chiropractors was really just such a blessing um, to learn from someone like her who who learned directly from Dr. Webster himself. And so, um, so as I started to learn Webster's technique, though, I also was listening to moms come into my practice or women who were pregnant who were just so fearful and uneducated about like what their bodies could do. Um, they were scared about labor and delivery, the options that they had about where they could deliver, how they could deliver, um, and just the standardization that takes place within the medical realm with childbirth and um, women's health just in general. And so I just was like, no, it doesn't matter. Like even having no experience or training as a doula, I was like, you have rights, you have options, you have, like, all you have to say is no, thank you, but no, 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 like, no can be so powerful. And it doesn't have to be a battle, but but we can, we can use that. And I really tried with my, with the one patient who, the first patient who got me into, like, looking into what it means to be a doula, like, she had said to me, I'd, I kind of worked with her um, even before she got pregnant. And then when she got pregnant, she was like, I am just so afraid now to be pregnant. Like I've wanted this for so long, but now I'm just so afraid because it's going to happen so quickly, like nine months. When you look at it in the reality of your life, it's not a very long amount of time, but then the labor and delivery, I think women fear that a lot. And she said, you know, like you have always kind of been able to educate me on what's going on and make me feel calm. And I just feel like I really want you to be my doula. And at the time I was like, what is a doula? Like, what does that <laughs> mean? Like, I was like, um, let me do some research and I'll get back to you on that. And so I started to like kind of talk to other colleagues and I started to, to educate myself on what it is to be a doula and what it means to be a doula. And I just so happened there was a, a class through the DONA or DONA um, organization that was coming through one month before she was due to deliver. And I was like, oh, this wow. will be perfect. I will take this training and I will be her doula. And then I will feel prepared because I will have educated myself on what I need to do to provide for her. And then I will do, I will be at her birth and we'll see, is this something I really want to continue with? And it was awesome. It was the best experience ever, for, I think, for all of us, but like mostly for her because it was her first baby and her family. Um, but it was awesome for me just to see that that experience for me. And so um, then as I kind of have continued and became certified with all my training and everything, I realized a lot of my role as a doula is to help educate, but I wanted to be kind of certified to educate and hypnobirthing came through last June and I was like, I got to take this class. It's okay. So I took the class and did all the things that I need to do to be certified for that just so that I can for sure say like, no, I'm a certified childbirth educator. Yes, it's in the hypnobirthing techniques, but there's a huge just chunk of childbirth education. Like what does it mean to go through labor? What are the three stages? What, what does delivery look like? Like where you're educating a classroom full of people about what that looks like. And then we're also teaching hypnobirthing techniques. So I got all of that kind of in one class and I'd like to actually do some other childbirth education classes just so that I have a few tricks up my sleeve about how to talk with different audiences. But, um, it's just kind of, um, that kind of brought me into the more of the birth world. And then now that the babies are here, now I'm starting to get also into some of the more like functional neurology and developmental neurology that comes with the, the development of, especially in that first year of life, that's so critical for, um, how we start our foundation from a neurologic and a muscular realm moving forward. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you'll be stopping taking classes anytime no, soon. No, <laughs> no. I, I, it's just, that's the one thing I think about being a doctor, you, you can't stop learning. You have to keep working and learning and evolving, not only with your patients, but also just with what's current and new. It's, it's just a really important part of being a doctor period, no matter what um, realm of medicine you're in. Yeah. And that is really cool. Cause when Connor was born like two and a half years ago, mm -hmm. you did refer me to somebody else yep. for his chiropractic care. Right. Um, but it is just awesome to be one of these patients that you're, mm -hmm. you're evolving along with. And it's like, right. okay, now I'm going to have another baby and you know, right. more. um, like that's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So can you talk about what Webster's technique is? So Webster's technique is um, an evaluation technique of a, a, like an, an, it's a, an analysis and gentle adjustment to the sacrum. So 
Um, as with all chiropractic adjustments, like the intent is always to improve the nervous system so that the body can function better. So um, with the sacrum or like the tailbone, it's the bone between those the hips that you would feel like at your waist level. Um, with the sacral adjustment, we can improve the balance of the pelvis overall because it's kind of like the keystone bone in an arch or a keystone in an arch like so if that bone or that stone is out of place then the rest of the arch kind of gets a little off kilter so if we can recorrect that we can create better balance within the pelvis as a whole and a balanced pelvis will reduce tension in the attached muscles in the attached ligaments that hold on to the uterus like the round ligament for instance, is one of those big ligaments that attaches the uterus to the actual bony pelvis itself. Um, and um, as a result, it, it can, um, you know, have a better um, balance within the uterus as a whole, which allows baby to possibly get into a better position, have more room for development, um, better position for birth and that thing. So it's generally used on pregnant women, but the cool thing about Webster's is it can be used on anyone who's upright and walking. You can use it on men, hmm. you can use it on kids. So it's, it's just a sacral evaluation and gentle adjustment technique, like with the drop table generally. So, um, that's the overall kind of stitched with, with Webster's. Yeah. Okay. So is it important if you're pregnant, like you talked about that one patient, mm -hmm. do you, can you only see a Webster certified chiropractor no. if you need adjustments? No. So like with that patient, I just could not get her sacrum to stay balanced. Okay. And that's why I referred her to a, to a Webster practitioner. Cause I was like, I'm clearly missing something or the technique I'm using that I'm used to using is not efficient for your body. So let me send you to someone that for sure, this technique is ideal for pregnant women, but it can be used on anyone. And I didn't, okay. I wouldn't, I didn't know the technique well enough. I, I was familiar with it enough to refer her to someone, but not familiar enough with the technique to say, I'm certified in this technique and I'm an expert and I know what I'm talking about. So I referred her to a colleague down the street who's since retired. Actually, I just found out last night she's retired, but, um, but I referred her over and she was wonderful, had a um, very easy labor and delivery and birth. And, um, but her, I think a lot of what was her issue is she just had so much pain around that tailbone area and around her SI joint. Um, that I just could not resolve. And within a few visits of Webster's technique, it was resolved. It was holding. And okay. it's just, you know, so you, you can definitely see a non-Webster's technique chiropractor while you're pregnant. It's, I think Webster's is just very specific in balancing the pelvic techniques without putting a lot of rotation through the pelvis, which then can be beneficial because then you're not rotating the, or putting any stress on those ligaments and, and then possibly torquing on the uterus. So, um, sometimes it's a little bit more ideal and I think a purist would say, yes, Webster's all the way for all chiropractic patients that are pregnant, but mm -hmm. is it, ha, has, have people seen a chiropractor who's not Webster certified through their pregnancy and had a fine labor and delivery and totally non-comp? Yes, absolutely. Like, <laughs> you know, like chiropractic, it, it should not, um, it doesn't matter where you go for chiropractic care. Like we should all adhere to some, like evidence-based principles, you know, using normal physiology and, you know, the body's ability to adapt to function the way that it's designed to do so. Like there's, those principles should always be in play no matter where you go. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of misconception about Webster's being a technique to turn a breech baby. It's not that. It's a, it, because if it was only to turn a breech baby, you could only use it on a woman who had a breech presentation, number mm -hmm. one. Um, and you can, you, you, you can use it on anyone, anyone who's upright and walking where there's forces being acted on by that sacrum or if forces are acting upon the sacrum. So, um, it's not just for pregnant women, but also chiropractors, it's outside of our scope of practice to treat the, the baby in, in utero, like that's obstetrics. We are not doing anything to the baby in utero. We are treating you as the mom and hopefully balancing your nervous system and your bony alignment helps baby, but it's not the direct reason that we are doing this. It's not to just treat the baby. It's to treat you. Right. But it could so, be that something's really tight in that area and the baby correct. isn't able to settle in Correct. Right. to an ideal 
position. Right. And like, I think that's Dr. Webster kind of saw it as um, almost anecdotal at first, like, like, oh, look, and these women who are breech had breech presentations, like the baby is moving into a better normal, quote unquote, normal position for, um, for birth and delivery. And then when he started to look at, let's just, he did research on just breech presentations. Yes. With his, with with him doing the Webster's technique, I think his, um, efficacy rate was like 95%. He was able to get 95% of breech babies to turn using that technique. When Jeannie kind of took over and they started to redo the research through the ICPA, I think the the numbers came slightly down to like the 85% rate. But again, it's it's kind of like that's not the primary focus or goal. It's not to sw- flip the baby because you can use this on someone who's not pregnant as well. It's mm-hmm. just to balance the pelvis and balance the soft tissue that's connected to the pelvis. That's it. That's amazing because it's yeah. it's obviously a lot less invasive than something like a, an external version. Correct, correct. Um, and I've and I've worked with moms who have done Webster's technique with me through their whole pregnancy and ended up still doing an external cephalic version with their midwife or with their OB that still went on to have a normal like you know head down you know vaginal birth and were successful in that in that effort. I mean, like it's, but it's definitely less invasive for sure. Like you don't have to have an epidural to have this. You don't have goo all over your belly while they're moving and manhandling the baby in utero, like, um, definitely way less invasive. So. Okay. Yeah. So is there something that happens to your pelvis during pregnancy that would necessitate this in any way or I think that there's just like a lot of there's hormonal shifts but then there's also structural shifts that are happening so um you know in the first trimester we don't really see a huge shift structurally in the pelvis because your uterus is growing but it's not really growing so much that it would have this massive shift within the organ systems and moving and pulling on the ligaments and stuff. Um, cause I think if I, if I remember right, like a midwife telling me once, like you, a palpable uterus isn't even palpable till about four months. Like you can't feel the top of the, like, and not me, but like the midwife or the OB cannot palpate your uterus until about four months. Cause it's tucked that low in the pelvis. Okay. So when you get to about four months gestation, then the, then the uterus is like, Hey, it's poking its head up. It's ready to say like, there's a baby here, which is like when some women start to say like, look at this little bump I'm getting. And, um, so, um, yes, your bones, the bone and the structure of your pelvis have to slightly change for the growing uterus. So like when you get to be nine months, as you are well aware of, like (laughs) your, your center of gravity is shifted and you're kind of a little bit more tilted anteriorly for that pelvis. Um, and you, because your center of gravity, if not, you'd fall over. So you've got to like kind of bring Mm -hmm. your shoulders back, but you have to tip your kind of your pelvis, your hips forward in order to kind of counterbalance that. Um, and at the same time, as this is all growing, you also have the hormone relaxin surging through your body that's being secreted. And relaxin is a hormone that softens the ligaments of the pelvis. It helps them to widen and accommodate the baby's growth and also the passage through the birth canal during the birthing process. So um, structurally, the softening and widening of the pelvic joint um, joints in the front as well as in the back of the um, pelvis is what really accommodates baby kind of coming through. A lot of people focus on those back joints because that's what gets kind of jammed up. The SI joint gets a little jammed up or your low back gets a little jammed up. But you also have to remember the pubic joint in the front is also softening and widening to make the opening in the bottom of the pelvis wide enough to accommodate the passage of the baby during birth. Um, and there was even a study that was just done like in Japan, I think last year or the year before, um, where they measured the width of the pelvis, both in the front and the back at different stages throughout pregnancy and also then one month post-delivery. And um, they were able to see that the anterior measurements did not resolve even by four, four weeks postpartum, indicating mm-hmm. that like women's bodies have not really fully recovered at four, at four weeks gestation or um, post-delivery. So um, women should be mindful of that. Like the soft tissue for your pelvic floor attached to, attaches to your pelvis, your lower abdominals that give you some core strength, like your glutes are attaching to your sacrum. Like all of that is interconnected. And like this, this concept of bouncing back within like how many weeks can I bounce? No, no, let your body heal and come back to kind of a a resting normal. And I don't know if you experienced this as much after Connor, but like 
did your body come back to the way it was 100% prior to you even becoming pregnant with him? Like structurally? No. And that's something like, I still have like a closet full of pants that I'm like, I'm pretty sure these will never fit again, even though I got down to the same weight. Correct. Um, I I don't think, yeah. yeah. You're just a little bit wider. I don't think they're ever going to be the same. Right. But like, and I, yeah, I think when that getting back to that pre-weight, it's not about weight. The structure is, is sometimes different, 100% different. I remember a a colleague of mine telling me like, she was really kind of into some of like the, um, you know, um, like she would go to like thrift stores and buy like sixties mod clothing, like really straight kind of androgynous or like boy cut dresses. None of them fit her anymore after she had kids because she had hips where she did not have them before. And that's completely normal. But so many women get stuck in their head about got to get back to pre-baby weight. It's not about the weight girls. It's about (laughs) letting those tissues heal, let your structures come back to what's the new norm for them. And Mm -hmm. just, Loving on your baby, loving on your baby. Get those good connections going. Yeah, definitely. Me and Marissa are not uh, not advocates of let's push ourselves as hard as we can postpartum to right. <laughs> meet some expectations. Right, so. like lay in um, bed. Someone can bring you plates of eggs and like food, and you just cuddle <laughs> and snuggle with that baby, girl. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, yep. we've 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 definitely got set up. We got like a recliner from my parents and moved yep. a TV into the bedroom. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm ready for postpartum. Yep, you're just creating <laughs> a little cave for you to kind of snuggle and hang out in. That's right. That's exactly what I want. Yep. yep. <laughs> so let's, let's stay in as long as we can. That's right. Yeah. So just okay with the pelvic the the pelvis adjusting like that mm-hmm. it, it i'm guessing just when there's changes structurally there's kind of an opportunity for it to maybe be out of alignment like if mm-hmm. you were fine before but it's moving there's this it's, possibility to, to yeah to have some shifting that isn't um, maybe balanced, like maybe mm-hmm. the right side is shifting more than the left, just based on maybe how you um, like stand or sit posturally or how you kind of habitually move your body. If it's more to the right or more to the left, like people can just kind of get off balance and off centered. And so, um, chiropractic is a nice way to gently bring that back in, but I've had moms who, you know, they're on, they have the unfortunate side effect of sciatica while they're pregnant. And it's just a, a lot of times I find that that comes back from baby just being kind of not positioned well in utero. And so, um, spinning babies is a technique that I often refer to patients who are kind of dealing with some of that, because I think it can help baby get into a better position where they can take more of a, um, a PT aspect at care, like more exercise, stretching, Mm -hmm. um, on a daily level versus they don't need to come see me daily. I should be able to reset the structure if I can, and that should be sticking, but you need to do some stretches or some movement based stuff as well so that we don't drive the same pattern back into the system. Um, and um, but I've had patients who really, even with spinning babies, it's not enough. They have to do, you know, maybe two or three weeks of PT with a PT where they go two or three times a week and see someone who can really dedicate an hour or more to stretch them or help them kind of rebalance. And, um, I think what's funny is that they're, what they're doing is they're rebalancing the structure in the muscular system. And what it does is it allows, allows baby to get into a better position. So it's not <laughs> rubbing on those sacral nerves rubbing on the sacrum and giving you that sciatic like like nerve pain so yeah that's so cool um yeah I was actually going to ask about spinning babies because that's it's something admittedly I I did with Connor and I've only done (laughs) once with the second pregnancy (laughs) um but it's kind of the same idea right of opening Mm -hmm. the pelvis um because they emphasize a lot of walking which I think is just good for the pelvic floor and getting movement. And it's also good to kind of shimmy baby down, like especially later in pregnancy to shimmy baby down so that they're nestled in to the pelvis well to help get some pressure on the cervix and help initiate some of those labor. Um, You know, even just the stretching of the cervix, like if you had an induction, for instance, like one of the first things that they do is give you something to soften the cervix and then they give you, 
um, if you're not dilating from that, they'll, they'll actually insert a little balloon to stretch the cervix, but the baby's head inside, putting pressure from down from inside, like down onto it will also help stretch and start that effacement and dilation process that's early in labor. Um, like before you even know you're really in labor kind of things like those, you know, when people talk about losing their mucus plug and things like that, like all of that mm-hmm. stuff is, um, is it, but good, but walking or walking on the stairs is another good way just to kind of move the pelvis through its normal ranges of motion, but kind of shimmy baby down onto that cervix as well. Okay. And then yeah. the stretching is more just opening up. I think opening up the pelvis and the hips and also getting your body used to, um, like, I know that there aren't, there isn't a ton of like, there's some squatting, but it's not all squatting, but like getting your hips used to being up in that position because a squat with gravity helping you is kind of one of the most ideal ways to be in like for delivery because you shorten the, um, the pelvic space and, um, really kind of push baby down onto the pelvic floor. And I mean, even, um, I mean, we, you talked about this already on your podcast, your birth. So like, yeah, I just want to be sure, like, but sitting on the toilet, like with, you know, you kind of like your feet on a squatty potty is it's it's mimicking or mocking that squat position to kind of help you. You're just using a device to kind of help you with that squatty potty. But even in a hospital setting, like they have things called like, um, like squat bars that hook into the bed and you can literally like kind of hold on and get onto the foot of the bed and into a squat position. And whoever's catching is down there kind of watching and catching. Like, so there are, there are lots of options, but I think spinning babies is a great way to kind of like, let's not, let's not first learn how to get into a squat while you're in labor. Like let's let's teach you those techniques and also get your body used to so that you're not sore after delivery, like you're and after birth, like your, your muscles are used to kind of getting into that position. I've, um, I had one, one mom tell me, um, after her birth, uh, this was even before I became a doula that she, um, was in the hospital, had an epidural, which is totally fine, but it only numbed one side of her body. And so then when mm. she pulled, was on her back and she's pulling these to chest, you know, her husband's helping and the nurse is helping on the other side and the numb side, she could not feel that pinch that was, it was just not in a good squat position for the hip. It was way too anterior, not enough external rotation of the hip. And she just ended up with all this hip pain after delivery. And I'm like, were you numb on this side and not the other? And she says, yeah, but God, when I woke up the next morning and that came back, it was, it was brutal. And so like, Hmm. I actually used some spinning babies techniques with her just to kind of be like, it's okay, hip, you can get into this position. Like, look, it's safe. Like, and we just kind of mobilized her hip that way and kind of got the tissues used to being in that position. Cause how many times as a mom of a toddler now, do you go to squat down and pick something up off the floor or pick your toddler up off the floor? Like you're, you're going to have to get used to that for a while. Like you're going to be picking up stuff off the floor for a long time and you don't want to have to get on hands and knees every time you do it. Like, so spinning babies can be used. I think also like long-term too. It's not just for, it's not just for pre-pregnancy and, and, or pre-birth, but it's, it can be used. Some of the techniques can be used for a while, like just to keep your pelvis, pelvis balanced. Yeah. And so just for people who aren't familiar, I, I did buy their program. I don't know. It's like daily essentials or something. Yeah. Um, I bought this when I was pregnant with Connor and it, it's kind of like a yoga yeah, program, but they talk about some other stuff of like how to get out of bed, like so in, without using your abs and you're mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it seems to be, or even just like how to sit on the couch, because I, I think a lot of it, and you can explain why, but, um, it it doesn't like your pelvis to be in this slouched position all the time. Right. It wants like tail it to be rounded. tilted forward, making room in your belly. And so I got like one of those balls to sit on at work yep. to kind of create more space, I guess, forward. So that for you your belly. Yeah, you would sit on, like if people are familiar with sits bones, if you're not familiar with what your sits bones are, it's the bones that if you sat on metal bleachers, they would get sore. They're like right under each butt cheek and they just get sore if you sit on metal bleachers. But that's really what we're meant to be sitting on. And so the ball 
keeps you off of sitting on your sacrum or your tailbone and gets you sitting more anteriorly on those sits bones so that your your sacrum and your and your tailbone can just kind of hang in between the two hip bones and then you don't also create this like recliner position so to speak like yeah. that um that people find often very comfortable but often what i find is that babies are kind of like eggs <laughs> in that like if you were to put an egg in your refrigerator, the yolk will settle to the bottom. If you lay it on its side, then the yolk settles to the side. It's the same thing with your baby in utero. If you lay back in a reclined position, the heaviest part of that baby, i.e. the spine and the head, are going to take, that's the heaviest position. So then you'll get a baby where their head and their is in your pelvis maybe, but their spine is resting against your sacrum instead of their spine facing outward on, against your belly. So spinning babies is a lot of stuff like on all fours or getting you into that anterior tilt position so that baby kind of hangs, but then takes on a better position that's easier for delivery. We do really, we, we want to see babies where their spines face out against the belly because then they come out facing towards your tailbone instead mm -hmm. of rocking their head against the back of their head against your tailbone, which feels horrible to a lot of women though, though a lot of those women will complain of back labor not yeah. the labor that wraps all the way around and it's usually just okay let's get you on all fours like let's get you in a like hat kind of half lying on your side half laying on your belly position just so that we can get baby to just use gravity and this and rotate within your uterus so that they can be in a better position for delivery so so that can still happen during labor oh yeah like you'll have babies that um, start off where their spine is more on the, um, on your right side and they will corkscrew turn all the way around why they don't just turn the other 45 degrees. <laughs> um, there's something physiological about that. And I've asked several midwives and they always are like, yeah, there's a reason. And then I never get the reason. So <laughs> I was going to ask Sarah at your birth this time, like after okay. your birth, because I really want to know. And I feel like she's going to know. Um, <laughs> and, and if she doesn't, she will like, look it up and tell you, and then you'll tell me. So, um, so that I'll know. So, um, but they, they will go all the way around more statistically than they will just make the quarter turn back. But if baby's laying like with their spine kind of on your belly, but on the left side, they only have to make the quarter turn and then be done and come out. So, okay. um, like it's not that kids can't be born face up. They, they are born face up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just what's easier for both of you is face back and spine facing out like yeah because I think that back labor tends to be longer too yeah yeah it's um, it, yeah it's because it's harder because the baby okay. isn't able to to rock and kind of like eat, remember with each contraction baby's kind of being pushed down and then riding up it's like two steps forward one step back with each contraction and when they're not in that ideal position then it it takes longer for that back and forth to happen so Okay. Um, yeah. And, and most women get very exhausted and they tap, they tap out much easier, much earlier. But I mean, I'm sure there is some woman who had a 48 hour labor with all back labor and did it. I mean, good, <laughs> good. I'm so glad, but like, I'd like it to be easier for women if we can make it easier. Like that's, <laughs> that's the goal. Like, I don't want you to fear childbirth. I want you to feel empowered by it and really like, if you want to do it once, great. If you want to do it eight times, I don't care. I just want to support you in this effort. And I want you to feel good about it and feel empowered by it because you're doing something really awesome that your body's designed to do and um, that, you know, men can't do. So let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take the charge. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So in terms of like getting chiropractic adjustments or the Webster technique when you're pregnant, what would be, do you think anybody or everybody would need to get evaluated or what, when would you recommend someone come in? Is it just if there's pain or? I, I, I think it's always a healthy like adjunct to get, to get put on. Um, I know that there are some very conservative chiropractors out there who will maybe like, not like that I'm saying this, but um, like a, a Webster's technique um, they'll, you know, like really conservative doc will say like, oh, you should come in like once a week during your pregnancy. I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a lot. And 
Um, I kind of let your body do the talking a little bit more with that. I, I do really like to see my patients a little bit more often towards the end of their pregnancy, but I'd like to see you throughout as well. It doesn't have to be just pain driven. It can be, um, that you're just here to just make sure your balance, your pelvis is balanced. The thing is you should never walk into a chiropractor's office and then tell you that your pelvis is balanced and then them adjust it. Cause if it's balanced, what are you adjusting? Mm. Right. So like the evaluation, I'm all keen for anybody getting evaluated throughout their pregnancy at any time, but they should never be adjusting something that is balanced because then what are they adjusting? Then they're just putting unnecessary force through the joints. So you, and that goes with any joint in the body. Like we should never be adjusting just to adjust. It's like people that crack their neck, you know, when they should, you know, because it's a nervous habit and, and really they're not using the right amount of force or the right technique or the right line of drive really. So they shouldn't be doing that anyways, but, um, that's, that's another story, but (laughs) I mean, um, like I, I would never just adjust someone's mid back just because I would find an area that isn't working, that isn't using the correct range of motion or isn't, um, working the, the correct way. That's the joint that you adjust. It's not the joint that's hypermobile behind it or next to it. Like it's, you know, you have to adjust the correct one and um, being specific about your adjustments. That's one thing I really do appreciate about Webster's. It's a very specific technique that's done and specific to the pelvis. There's an evaluation of uh, of it, of the sacrum. You adjust specifically on the sacrum. You do some other soft tissue things like round ligament release and um, a little bit of psoas work and um you a little bit of soft tissue work also like through the piriformis, but it's very specific to that. Um, and that, that's, that's what I think, like, I, I appreciated about it. It's not just hitting down the high points, so to speak. It's really the fine tune and the finesse of that technique that kind of drew me in for it. But, um, another thing with, um, some of the philosophy that comes through with at least the stuff that Jeannie Ohm talked about was that, pregnancy and and birth should be very parasympathetic of the nervous system. So in the nervous system, we have kind of two forms of the autonomic nervous system. We have sympathetic, which is your fight, flight, freeze. And then we have parasympathetic, which is that rest, digest, repair, restore. So pregnancy should be all about the parasympathetic. We want baby to have a good, healthy nervous system that's kind of low and chill and mellow and mom should have that too because baby feels what mom is feeling um so like Jeannie would talk about that she would only adjust the sacrum and the upper cervicals because everywhere else in the spine has sympathetic um nervous system attached to it so you don't want to excite the sympathetic nervous system you want to only excite the parasympathetic nervous system but when you have a mom who comes in who has a shoulder that's really aching or shoulder blade area is really aching because she's got ner- ribs that are out of place. You can't feel like, I feel like I just can't not put them back in and give her some good relief. Like, so I, I, I kind of step away from that purist activity and I say, okay, I'm going to say like, let's try it. And if it makes you feel good and it sticks good, but if you're driving the same pattern, then what can we do to interrupt the pattern? Um, because hitting down the high spots in that case is not always the right idea, but I need to provide you some relief because if that shoulder is aching on you and it's causing you headaches and things like that, I have to address it. And I, and I have not seen enough evidence in my practice and Jeannie may have disagreed, but I've not seen enough evidence in my practice that says when I leave it alone and I just adjust the top and the bottom, that that self-resolves. It, it just doesn't. And so I end up having to have the patient come back and adjust it anyways. I might as well just adjust it now and give you some relief and, and, you know, give you maybe some breathing exercises to reinstate the parasympathetic nervous system. Like, <laughs> yeah, so. no, that's interesting. I thought you meant just during labor when you were saying that, but oh no, pregnancy, whole, that seems crazy. <laughs> right. Like, right. The whole, the whole thing is it just, it feels very black and white. There can be no shades of gray and it's just not it's just not who I am. So I can't, I can't do that. I can't can't be such a purist like that. And I'm sure, you know, Jeannie would not like to hear that, but (laughs) I don't think she listens to my podcast. No, I know. I don't think so, but (laughs) so you might be okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That's awesome. Um, so you're saying it's possible that a pregnant woman 
comes in and says, I just want an evaluation at this time. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, you're totally balanced. Maybe come back in three months. We don't need to do anything. Or just come back next month and let's check you because right during pregnancy, a lot of growth is happening month to month. So a lot of times I say to patients, like, how often are you seeing your midwife or your OB? Mm -hmm. Let's fit that same schedule. Like, come and see me the weeks that you see your OB or your midwife. Because that, you know, doesn't seem too much. And if you come in and you're not, you don't need an adjustment, cool. Then we won't adjust you. Have a super day. I'll see you next time. And we make the next appointment. Um, I'm I'm going to gather or think, though, that, like, there's probably never been a patient where there isn't something that we can address. And I'll talk to the patient and say like, Hey, your, your pelvis balanced, but I'm scanning the rest of your body and I'm finding stuff in your neck. Do you want to address that today? And you should always be given the option. Some women will say, no, I'm good. I'll just, you know, I'll do that another time. Okay, cool. We'll address it all on the next time then. But if you're here, let's get it taken care of. If not, but you have to, you have to meet patients where they're at. Like some people are just like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Your role as a healthcare provider, at least in my opinion, is to provide options for care and then give the patient the education they need about what the options provide and what the risks are. And then they make the choice. You might not agree with the choice, but it's the choice that they have to make the choice for themselves. Like that's true informed consent, in my opinion. Yeah. And obviously we've talked about this a lot around birth. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Right. But it fits all, it fits all medicine. Yeah. And that's, that's what I do appreciate about the doula training I've done. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, this applies across so many boards where you can say, no, like really your job as a healthcare provider is to provide me with options. You may not agree with the options, but it is to provide me with options and let me make my choice about mm-hmm. how I go about treating myself because I'm a person and I get to make choices for myself. Like, like we're intended to, like we're adults. So. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you were my um, doula way before I found Sarah like yeah. <laughs> with Connor. Right. Uh, and we were planning a hospital birth. We made a birth plan and it was just, it was so great having you, like you were the one who recommended the hospital, the midwife group that I was going mm-hmm. through. And you said, this is probably your best option in your area. Right. And they were- For what you described that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, right. yeah. And if you, if you want, yes, if you want a different kind of birth, like I am all for every woman getting, or at what least planning for and trying to be supported in- what they want. Yeah. And, um, but I still did not feel supported. And I I remember talking to you through that. And yeah, I was disappointed by that because it wasn't my experience with that group, but I was like, it sucks that that's where you're at, but let's find you someone then that can support what you want. Like, cause that's ultimately the goal. And And I don't know if it was just cause I like pushed back on more things than other people or, Um, but it's, it's just how I felt and I'm so glad I had the experience I did. Like, yeah, cause I, yeah, um, I think about that too. Like, what if you had been there? Like, how would it have looked? Would it have looked different? Would you have gotten the same experience that you wanted? Um, and, and I'm not sure that you would have, I don't, I'm not sure that you would have been sitting on the toilet by yourself (laughs) drinking a coconut water. When you say to me like, Hey, I'm feeling some pressure. And I say, hold on one second, let's (laughs) get to midwife and see what's going on there. (laughs) I don't think that would have happened at the hospital. No. So. Yes. I am definitely stocked up on coconut water. (laughs) The pink stuff, right? Yes. I I think I went through like six (laughs) liters or eight liters of that. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, it's so good. It's so expensive, but it's so good. Uh, yes. I, I do not have it often, but when I am giving birth, I can, I can spring for the more expensive coconut water. Yes. Uh, I'm hoping it's not as long this time though. (laughs) Statistically they're not, they are shorter, but you know, every, every birth, it's like every person, we're all different. We're all unique and each baby gets their own birth story and no two are the same. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, can you share about what, um, if somebody's never seen a chiropractor and they come to see you or they just want an evaluation, like what would they expect from a visit? 
I think, um, should they expect, I think first and foremost, you should, um, be able to have someone and be, and I think it's also being clear about your intentions. There are some offices like, like I do treat patients on the first day if, if they want. And so I, but I always am clear, like, what are you hoping to get out of this visit today? Are you looking for me just to evaluate you and give you some feedback? Are you looking to get a treatment as well? Just so that a, I also know how much time to plan. So when I call, like when I have patients call, I'm, I kind of ask them like, so you want to get evaluated or you want to get evaluated and treated? So if, okay. if we only are doing an evaluation, I schedule a little less time. And then I, I, at the end of the visit, I would give to them, like, this is what I think is going on. This is how I think I can help you. These are some other places that you could maybe like think about or be adjuncts or alternatives to here. But ultimately, this is what I think. And then, cool. What do you want to do about it? Do you want to come here? Cool. Let's schedule a visit for, you know, care or no, you're thinking you're going to do the alternatives. Okay. Do I have anyone I can refer you to for those alternatives? And if not, you know, let me know if you find someone. I always like to add to my referral list if I can. So, um, but when you go in for an evaluation, I think the way that I always learned and the way that just makes sense logically in my brain is that you first and foremost start with a history. A history tells the patient's story. It tells them, it tells you where their body's been, what their body's going through right now. And then you also talk to the patient about where they want to take their body. Like, where do you want to get back to? Like, what's your what's your goal for coming in for care? I mean, pain is a big motivator. Don't get me wrong. Pain's a huge motivator for people, but I have patients who come in who just want to get, you know, more mobility out of their hips, or they want to get more shoulder range for tennis or something like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But your history um, should kind of lead the exam so that you don't have to do this like hour and a half long exam of head to toe. You can be a little bit more specific about your exam. Now, that's not to say that like if a person comes in for shoulder issue that you shouldn't evaluate their spine because guess what? The shoulder attaches to the spine. So ultimately the spine has to come into play. Um, if I have a patient who comes in and they tell me on their health history that they have high blood pressure, I'm going to take out my blood pressure cuff and I'm going to take their blood pressure. I'm going to listen to their heart and lungs because I want to see like, are you taking blood pressure medication and it's working? Are you not taking blood pressure medication and then you just had a weird once-off high blood pressure reading? Like, what's the deal with that? Um, And then I would also um, like tie that in with other things. Like, are we also having any kind of like blurred vision? Are we having any headaches? Things like that that could also be um, what we call like kind of comorbid, you know, issues like or things that kind of flock together. Um, you know, high blood pressure can cause headaches. So we want to make sure that we screen appropriately for other things going on. Um, Same thing if someone came in and they were talking about having a headache or dizziness, I might check their blood pressure because if their blood pressure is through the roof and they have a headache, that's not a really good, um, you know, I'd like to have that blood pressure checked out first because I don't want you to be like kind of having a precursor to a, you know, heart episode. So we Mm -hmm. always just really try to make sure that we're screening. Um, you'll get chiros out there that do completely just musculoskeletal exams and that's fine. I think, I just don't think it's my approach to care. Like I want to make sure that I'm kind of checking. So I'll ask people about the medications that they're taking and, um, if they've had any kind of organ based issues going on, kidney, heart, liver, gallbladder, appendix, like if you had any surgeries, cause it also tells me, have we ever explored and opened up your belly? Cool. Let's me know about the competency of your core and of your abs because mm. they create a, um, I hate using this term, but they create a corset of support around the spine. Corset training, please don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But um, this coming, it's making a comeback. And I just, I've, I've had a couple of patients where I'm like, throw it away. Be done with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, so, but it, but you really need to kind of like know all these things. I, I had, I had a patient though, and it's also important, um, to, when people talk about like childbirth, for instance, to ask about how did you deliver your children? Because I had one patient who told me that she had delivered her children, quote unquote, normally, but for her, C-section was normal because all three kids were breech. So I am working on this woman's low back and I cannot figure out why, she has no abdominal competency. Well, she's had three C-sections, 
but I referred her out to a PT because I could not figure out why this was happening. And the PT was like, well, she's had three C-sections. I'm like, what? I go back to my notes. I look, I was like, she said normally, but I read that as vaginally. And no, mm-hmm. you have to ask all these questions. That's why a health history and a um, is so important that you really do take a good history. Um, and then the, what should come from that is an exam and the exam should be thorough. It should be you know, area specific and focused. Um, if you came in for a shoulder issue, I shouldn't be looking only at your toe. Like that doesn't make any sense, but you should look at kind of the, the body as a whole, in my opinion, or areas that could be connected. Um, and then um, based on what you find in the exam, as long as there's no red flags, like high blood pressure with a headache or things like that, um, based on your exam, I think you could treat on the same visit if you really wanted to. A lot of docs will say like, no, I have to do a review of findings and I have to like go through all this. I, I, I don't agree all the time that every case meets that need, but um, you know, I, I do treat on the same day. I will give the patient the options and say like, look, this is what I think I can do chiropractically. This is what I think we can do with exercises and stretches outside of the office. You could also pair this with massage or adjustments or acupuncture, or maybe I'll refer you to someone for nutritional advice, because I really think this is more of an adrenal and a food issue than it really is a body issue, like a musculoskeletal issue. Um, but using that, that same technique that I've used with doula patients, like use your brains. What are the benefits, the risks, the alternatives? What's your gut or your intuition tell you? What if I did nothing? And then what's the sequelae or the sequence of events that happens if I do this certain technique? So with chiropractic, like what are the benefits? What are the risks? What the alternatives would be PT, acupuncture, um, nutritional stuff. Um, and then I say to the patient, okay, like how does that all feel? Like, what do you think? Where do you, where does your gut kind of take you in that moment? Like, this is not a sales pitch. This is, I'm trying to meet you where you're at and make sure you feel comfortable with care. And then if we do chiropractic, this is what it will look like as far as a treatment plan. Like you're going to come back in five days or you're going to come back in 10 days, or I want to see you later this week, depending upon the severity of the situation. Um, And then once I start to see X factors on, on follow up visits, then we can start to put more and more time between our, our visits together because your body is doing what it needs to be doing and you have a skill set of things that are keeping you balanced and, and um, kind of on point. So, um, and then patients make their decisions from there. So I, I do have a few patients that I have, you know, have given these this spiel to, so to speak, and they just choose another alternative, which is within their right. Um, and sometimes it's disappointing that you're like, I wasn't able to help that person. But I think in all reality, when you look back, yeah, you were, you sent them to someone who could help them. And that's really what your job is there to be. So it's to be a vessel to help, um, in whatever way. And it's not always to put your hands on that patient. Sometimes it's to refer them out. So, and so in terms of that treatment schedule, it might be very different for somebody who let it go a really long time. Correct. Yeah. Versus, versus like a acute pain or acute issue. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have patients who, you know, have had this pain for 15 years. Okay. Well, what brings you in today then? Like why yeah. didn't you address this 15 years ago, but also it's been compiling and compounding yeah. for 15 years. So this is going to take a little bit longer, but it doesn't mean there isn't light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that you're further in the tunnel than the guy mm-hmm. who just got yesterday. So and then, so this is just kind of curiosity. I have yeah. two questions. What about, what do you think when chiropractors require x-rays? Um, that is a, um, that might be more of like a Gonstead technique. Gonstead is a, was another chiropractor who has a specific technique that's based on um, findings and measurements taken from the x-rays. Um, okay. It wasn't a philosophy that I was taught where I went to school. We used x-rays if something in the exam warranted the need for x-rays. So if you had someone who had an acute fall where you were worried that something was broken or totally displaced, if you had someone who during the exam process, something is just uh, lighting them up that should never, like some certain movement pattern is just really causing a lot of extreme pain where it shouldn't be then that warrants imaging. It's not to say that uh, that um, the docs who are taking x-rays and require x-rays are not doing their service or good job. It's just a different technique. Um, it. And it's not one that I was taught. And um, 
doesn't fit my practice philosophy. I do refer patients out for x-rays. It's just not um, every new patient who comes into my office. So Okay. Um, so that would be work. something you could ask, like, what do you, yeah. What techniques, what, what chiropractic yeah. techniques do you use? So, um, I think the terminology that we were given for the techniques we were, le- we learned were, was a diversified technique. Um, there are activator only techniques. There are, is the Gonstead techniques, but you'll have docs that are out, out there who learn diversified techniques, but they still take x-rays on every patient. It's just really okay. where they feel comfortable. Um, I know for a while there was some issue with like where Medicare was requiring x-rays of all patients who were under chiropractic care on a first visit and stuff. I don't really know if that's what drove this need within the diversified community to, to need x-rays. I, I don't, I don't really know, but um, um, you can always ask though, like, do you require when you're calling to make an appointment, can you tell me what techniques you use? Or really, I feel like those techniques should maybe be listed on their websites, but if they're not, you can always call and ask and then say, do you require x-rays? Like I, I haven't had any acute traumas or falls. Do I need this? You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and if they say like, yes, we require them for every patient. Okay. That's one of those, like, do I want this care? Yeah, you know? And ultimately, like, it's within their right as a provider to say, I don't feel comfortable treating you yep. without this information. So I'm not the right chiropractor for you. Okay, cool. Like, that's fair, too. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've had that with patients where I'm like, your blood pressure is 180 over 110. It's not safe for me to treat you. You need to go get this taken care of. You need to go see a medical doctor. You need to go figure out why your blood pressure is so high. And he refused. I was like, I, I cannot treat you then. Yeah. It's just, it's not safe. Like, and if you can find, if he was able to find someone else to treat him, I mean, that's within his right. It's just, yeah. it's not, it's not worth my license <laughs> and it's not safe. So. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then my other question was, um, do you have thoughts if a chiropractor is spending less than five minutes on a visit? Um, I don't feel good about that. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I just feel like I don't know how you even get a good read on palpation on that patient, like to palpate their spine and feel their spine and really like take the time to work with their body. It shouldn't be something that is done to their body. It should be done something like the patient should play kind of an active role in it, in my opinion. Um, and so, I mean, could I do an adjustment in five minutes? Sure. On someone whose body I really know. But even then, I don't like to do that. Like, I spend 30 minutes with every patient. I do soft tissue work on them. And maybe some docs have, like, a assistant who comes in and does all that soft tissue. Great. It's just not, it's just not where I'm at. So um, I'm, I, I don't want to say that they're providing poor care. I just don't know that they're providing the care that I provide, which I feel is a little bit better than that. So, Well, yeah, that's just something I found. Like I've, I've had a few chiropractors over the years. Like Mm -hmm. I I had low back pain starting a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, there's been a few chiropractors that I feel like have really helped me and their healthcare providers versus Mm -hmm. like some chiropractors who are like, come in and I'll crack your back. And then. Right. Right. um, Yeah. Even the five minutes, sometimes it's less than 90 seconds. Right. So, so yes. Can you do an adjustment in less than five minutes? Sure. Should you? Maybe not in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So I just, I don't think I'm not, I don't want to bad mouth anybody. Right. right, Exactly. um, Like I'm sure that they're out there helping wonderful and they're, they're wonderful and they're helping a lot of people. Um, it just doesn't, it's not the way I was taught. It doesn't make me feel good to do that kind of, um, process. I mean, my first year in practice, I worked in an office where, um, I mean, this was my mistake and my naivety, but like I was told I could come in and be autonomous and do what I needed to do and and treat the patient the way they wanted, they wanted and needed to be treated. But if I spent more than 10 minutes in that room with the patient, the, you know, my boss was on knocking on the door. You've been in here too long. What are you doing? Come on, let's go. Boom, boom, boom. And I was like, this just is not, I was like, remember when I interviewed and we said these things, like, (laughs) this is not what you sold me. Like, I just don't feel good about this. Like, you know, this is what you promised and now you're, you're switching it. And Mm -hmm. so I, I did not stay there long. I mean, yeah, I had to formulate an exit plan to get out of there because I couldn't, you know, be jobless, but I, I took my time and I said, gosh, I'm going to just strike out on my own. I feel like, cause nothing, nothing, I couldn't find anywhere that I could work for someone and be myself and be the kind of healthcare provider that I thought 
I was a trained to be and B knew I could be. And so I just didn't, I didn't feel good at a lot of other places. I felt very, um, like much like I had to fit a mold that I just wasn't going to fit. So, um, it's, it's been hard, but it's been a blessing all at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to share? I don't think so. I just, I just really want to make sure that people like, you know, know that they have options no matter where they're going or what they're doing as far as medicine goes, like wherever you choose to be, you always have options, like always ask. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask and I don't want people to be afraid to ask. Like this is the information age, information's available, but you have to ask for it. And if you don't, like one of the, one of the best things I ever learned in some of the, like the birth advocacy and the doula work that I do is if you don't ask what your options are, you have none. And if you don't know that you have options, you have none. And that goes for every line of healthcare. This is not like chiropractic care is not emergency based care. This is not life saving. Like, you know, you're coming in because you were in a major car accident and you're bleeding out and you have to have emergency surgery. That is not the time to ask for options and interview surgeons. <laughs> but if you're having an elective knee replacement, you would go and get three or four different opinions, right? Like, I don't understand why we just kind of blatantly sometimes choose a healthcare provider because, you know, Sally Joe down the street said he was a really good doctor. He might be a really good doctor for Sally Joe, just not for you. And that's okay. Just find a new one. Like, let's go on to the next, on to the next until you find one that's willing to work with you, not that you're working for as the patient. You should never work for your healthcare provider. They should work with you on your health. So that's yeah. my, that's my ultimate message. Like, it doesn't have to be a chiropractic one. I just want people to know they have options. So, yeah. No, I really love that. Cause that's something I feel like, um, I, I have this, or I had this mentality where it's like, oh, you should find someone in network and like, go, right. to the, um, and I've gotten burned a couple times on that. Like one from a lactation consultant right yeah. after Connor was born and, uh, a chiropractor that we took Connor to, I, you know, I, I told yeah. you about that, how, she was like, she spent two seconds with him and was like, he needs 12 adjustments over the next right. four weeks. And you're like, yeah. ah, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so you referred me somewhere else and yeah. it was better. But yeah, I think, I think I've really worked on building my team of people I yeah. trust and then yeah, your tribe. getting, yeah, totally. And getting yeah. referrals through like, you know, if I needed a physical therapist, like right. I'm going to ask you, who do you know? And if you don't right. know anybody, you're going to call. Like Deanne and ask her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I love that. Yeah. And then, so I will link to your website, okay. but is that where people would find you if they wanted yep. to? Connect? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's a little bit of a work in progress right now, but, um, so all the things that I do may not be listed on there right now, but I'm working on redoing it. Um, but since, as you know, I answer my own phones and I do all my own billing. So, uh, I also am my own web developer and, I'm working <laughs> <on> it, so. <laughs> and you have a phone number and an email address on there. Yes, so that's on there. people can and, get a hold of you. Yeah. So don't be, uh, don't just judge me by my website. Just give me a call and we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you're it. Very this, welcome. Was, this was great talking to you. Yes, very good. Email us your questions at nourishedandnurturing at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at nourishedandnurturing. You can find more from me, Marissa, at confidentlybalanced.com. And you can find more from me, Michelle, on Instagram at Michelle Taggy. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you like what you've heard and share it with a friend. We look forward to talking to you next week.